I just like that music. I like it. Yeah. We were we were talking in small group this morning. It was really funny. By the way, if you're not in a small group, you're not in one of our community groups, please, I beg you, get here at 9 o'clock. Be a part. It's a blast, okay? Uh, we get to share life. We get to talk about uh, what, what's going on in our lives. We also get to talk about the Word of God and sharpening each other. If you don't know our new schedule, it's on the back of these cards. Grab one when you're on your way out. Invite a friend, uh, but be here at 9 and from 9 to 10. That's also the same time the community groups are happening for all our kids, children's kids church during that time as well, and then right here at 1030 for worship. So please do that. But uh, that you talk about base, it reminded me that we were talking about Amish and that uh, Mennonites and stuff like that. I don't know why we got on that subject, something to do with uh, legalism, that type of thing, and how they had saw someone going down a buggy and they had like the big beatbox with a generator running behind it in the, in the bass stuff. And I just thought that is hilarious. So anyway, <clears throat> those things that you will see. Uh, go ahead and turn to Acts 2. We're going to read several scriptures this morning, but this will be one of those kind of two main ones that will kind of be the thrust of what we're going to be talking about. If, if you haven't been here, uh, we are in our third week of our uncomfortable series. That sounds great at church, isn't it? Aren't we supposed to make everything comfortable here for you? Uh, padded seats, we don't have, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, we, we talked about that, right? In the very beginning um, of the series, we talked about this idea that really that we in our society, we crave comfort, right? We, we crave um, everything that's our way, if you will. And even in the church, that seeped in where it's all about a consumer mindset and how many times what we do is we take our preferences and we make those sacred. And when we make those sacred, it becomes a very dangerous place, right? Because all of a sudden now we've, we've taken these things that should be just, you know, having a cup of coffee over and discuss, but now we've made these. And they're not even theological many times. They're just a thrust of our comfort, right? And we I talked about last week how you cross your arms one way and feels comfortable. We'll try it the other way, right? It's very awkward. Uh, it's a challenge. But really, the reality is that God has brought us together in our faith to make us uncomfortable, right? Uh, I, I love the, the story, the illustration of uh, the, the, the baby eagle. I don't know if you know this, but in, in an eagle's nest, they make it super comfortable for the, for the chicks, right? But over time, they know that these, these eagles have to have their own life. They, they have to be birthed out of the, the nest, right? And so they begin to pull away all the comfortable stuff. And what happens is their feet don't, don't like the prickly uh, uh, different things that are underneath that. And then eventually they launch out. And, and I just wonder many times for us to change, for us to be sanctified in the image of God, God, God has to pull away all our comfort. We talked about that a little bit this morning in our small group as well, about how kind of God has to strip us down, take away those things that really ultimately allow us just to rely on him it's just between him and us, right, and nothing else. And so we talked about the first week, the big idea was this, being a, being a part of God's family is full of discomfort and awkwardness, but God uses these challenges to help us know him better, and it's really about knowing him. And then uh, we talked about last week, this big idea is that we should expect um, uncomfortableness because of the crucifix, because the crucifixion and what Jesus did on the cross is at the very center of our faith. Um, Jesus says, come, if anyone come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. That, that's the reality of Christianity. If, if anyone told you that Christianity was easy, 
or that it was just going to be this rosy uh, type setting, I'm sorry, they lied to you, okay? Um, I can tell you that following Jesus has been the hardest thing I've ever done in life, but by far the greatest joy and contentment and peace I've ever known. Um, so the reality is when we're following Jesus daily, like I said last week, sometimes moment by moment, sometimes minute by minute, I have to die to self. And so we talked about this idea that we, we have to begin to understand that a cross-centered life is, starts with biblical thinking. And, and I shared this last week how if, if we're going to have biblical thinking, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. How do we do that? Well, one, we, we begin to memorize what the scriptures is all about and what, what the gospel is out. From the, from the beginning to the end, it's all about Jesus, okay? And it's about his coming and, his plan, and God's plan of redemption for his people. And so understand that God created us, but our sin separates us, and sins can never be removed by good deeds. But paying the price for our sins, Christ, the, the perfect lamb who takes away the sins of the world, uh, died on the cross and rose again, and through his complete work, everyone who trusts in him will have eternal life, and the life eternal is to be with Jesus forever. And so that's the understanding that memorizing scripture, but also praying scripture, or praying the, the gospel over our lives, singing the gospel. I found a new song this week that just helped me a lot, and it just talked about that God is still in control, and they, they kind of took this parts of the Amazing Grace song and kind of mixed it up, but it's, it's a beautiful song of the gospel that God, has, his plan of redemption is still ongoing in my life. And then um, this also this idea of how to reflect how the gospel's changed my life, and then study the gospel, share the gospel, and commit to gospel-centered relationships. And that's really what we're talking about when we talk about community groups, that we're, we're really focusing ourselves around Jesus, if you will, the uh, probably the easiest way is the, the core fundamentals of the gospel, which we believe are kind of the five solos, right? We, we believe by Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, through scriptures alone, right? And for the glory of God alone. And so those are the things we're focusing on in um, our small group and how that affects our lives and how we live out our lives. So this is really what Jesus is talking about when he talks about uncomfortable, this idea of uncomfortable God's using it to change us, our uncomfortable faith. And today we're going to talk about this idea of the uncomfortable church in general. So my, my big idea is this this morning. The uncomfortable, awkward, and difficult call to be the hands and feet of Jesus in culture is a gift that God uses to create a beauty in and around us. Um, you don't always see it. I remember... Uh, a moment in my life when I had given my life to Christ, it had been probably, uh, I don't know, about a year, and I had some guys that I, I went through at the time, I, I went through the apprentice school, which was kind of half school, half trade, and uh, a lot of these guys I had played uh, football with, Division uh, three football, and, and, and some of these guys I had played baseball with on the same level, and, and I remember getting together, and, and I was beginning, some of them were Christians, some were not, and I began to share my faith. And I remember them saying, Rick, we see the change in your life. We see that you're not self-centered as much as you used to be. And that there's things that have changed in your life. And so understanding that God was creating a beauty in me then. And he's creating a beauty in you that it's not about you. It's about him. It's not about your kingdom. It's about his kingdom. 
And so as we talk about almost every week, we talk about this idea of vision, right? That we, we believe that God, we exist here to glorify God by advancing his kingdom through obedience to the Great Commission. Basically meaning that we want, Jesus, we want people to find life in Jesus. We want them to mature and grow. And we want them to multiply and ultimately be sent out uh, to make disciples that plant churches. That's what we want. And this is what we believe God's called us to do. So let me look at two major texts. One is in Acts 2. The other one's in Romans. And we're going to talk about what it looks like really examining the first century church and, and really what was distinctive about the church that was different than anything had ever come along. And how does that match up to we today as we are the church? By the way, again, the church okay, is not the building. Mentioned about 120 times in different forms in the New Testament. Never once does it mean brick and mortar. There's a place of gathering at times, but it's the people. You're the church. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you're the church. Okay? And so when we talk about the church today, this uncomfortable church, we're really talking about ourselves. So Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, and then Romans 12. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received uh, their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. And then, if you will, turn with me over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. In verses 9 through um, 21. Yeah. Um, this is really, if you will, I, I wrote my notes on the side of this years ago, the model of community. So I want you to listen to the words, the language of this. It says, let love be genuine or authentic. Arbor what is evil means hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoicing in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, and bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But listen, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I don't know about you, but that sounds super uncomfortable to me. Uh, uh, I, think about that. 
for those that are enemies, right? The scriptures talk about Jesus dying. They said many people may die for their friend, but how many died for their enemies? Jesus, the scriptures tell us while we were still enemies to God, he died for us. So this idea of Jesus modeling for us what he's calling us to do. So this is what I want you to write down if you're keeping notes. I want you to write down some distinctives that I feel like in these two major texts that we see and talk about how those affected culture then and how we as the church need to take these prescribed principles, okay, and really say, okay, how are we doing in this area, individually, corporately, right? So, and, it, and, it, and it's going to make you uncomfortable because it made me uncomfortable. And so I understand that we may wiggle a little bit in our seats, but again, God is doing this in us to make us his hands and his feet. So I, I want you to, first of all, think about in the setting of what the, the, the birth of the church would have been like. Now, I know today it's hard. Most of us here may have been, um, been in America for a while. Maybe we've been in America our whole life. And so we don't quite have a concept of what a third world country or even places that are not necessarily uh, uh, a democratic republic or a place where a freedom is like, where somebody can just knock on your door and arrest you for whatever reason, and they can put you in jail for however they want to or persecute you because you're wanting to serve Jesus. We don't understand that here in America. Now, we may one day, I hope not, but we don't now. And so it's hard to understand, put us in the context by which the first century church was birthed. But I want you to imagine if you were born in this time, whatever you were born into, that's what you were. Like if, if you were born rich, that's where you were. If you were born poor, that's where you were. If you were born into a slave family, that's where you were. Free, that's where you were. In other words, it's much like a caste system, okay? I, I know I went to Egypt in 2003, and I remember meeting with many uh, Muslims and, and talking to them through an interpreter, sharing my faith with them, sharing the parables of the scriptures. And I, I remember we met with this one individual who, who was married and had a uh, young son, and he described his testimony. He had to move every six months because uh, when they found out he was a Christian, they would throw acid on, try to throw acid on him and his family or try to uh, break in and, and vandalize his home and death threats. And I remember him saying how in, in that country at that time that if you were a Muslim, I mean, if you were a Christian, born in a Christian home, then you could switch. You got a card, either a Christian card or a Muslim card, and you could switch over to be a Muslim anytime you wanted, right? No problem, okay? But if you were born a, I mean, if you were born a Muslim, you could not switch over to be a, a Christian from a, from a public standpoint, right? And so it's similar to this situation where whatever you were born into, that's what you were. Radical shift. So I want you to write this down. They offered a direct and personal love relationship with the Creator God. If you see Paul and even Peter, he goes back. What, what do they always go back? They go back to the very beginning when God created man and woman. They talk about Abraham and the covenant and how God's fulfilling the, to reconcile mankind to himself. Is this picture of redemption. And we see that all of a sudden, these people no longer have to be identified by male or female or, or, or rich or poor, no longer have to be identified by free or slave, but they could be identified in Jesus. I talked about last week, um, where do you find your identity? And whom do you find your identity? And this is the good news of the gospel that 
They could find their identity in Christ, and they were all equal. You know what the other beauty brought about it? A great diversity, right? That this social class could, could actually meet with this other social class, and this status could meet with this status. Why? Because it wasn't about climbing ladders, which is what self-righteous people do or legalistic people do, but it was about at the foot of cross, at the foot of the cross where we're all equal before Jesus. So uh, 1 Corinthians gives us a great picture of this. talks about 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 14, and it says this, For just as one body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And then Galatians 3 is a great picture of that as well. Galatians 3, 26 through 29, it says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put, put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. See, we, we find ourselves doing this many times, even in the church, where we elevate something about ourselves, okay, and put that in front of Christ. The reality is we're all sons and daughters of Christ if you put faith in Jesus. That is the most important thing, right? Not, not your political affiliation, not your gender, um, and be honest, not even what you identify as, okay? What you should be is identifying at, as a follower of Jesus. And what happens is it makes Jesus the focus and not us. Anytime we start elevating whatever our status are, we put ourselves, again, it's a form of narcissism. We in Jesus. So it's this idea that our identity is in Christ. We're a new people and we're diverse. That's a unique thing about the church and especially the first century church. The other thing is this. If you're writing notes, keep this, write this down. They were multiracial and experienced unity across ethnic boundaries. If you look and we don't have time to read the whole chapter of Acts 13 or Ephesians 2, but if you go back there and read this week, challenge you to read through and see all the multifaceted people that were in the first century church, the early church, as Paul went from place to place, planning churches, raising up elders, and then launching them out, and then moving on to the next place. And again, unheard of for these different ethnic backgrounds and races meeting together Again, they had a commonality in Christ. By the way, okay, by the way, we're all born from Adam and Eve. Remember that, right? We're all descendants from Adam and Eve. And so ultimately, um, I, I love, listen, I grew up in a small town. I grew up in a one high school town. And we were famous for saying things like, you're not from around here, are you? All right? But to be honest, none of us are originally from around here, are we? until our family moved here some generations back. And there's nothing wrong with that, but the reality is we all have to have a place to belong, and our place to belong should be in the family of God, right? It should be the family of God. And so this is what uh, we're talking about, this kind of uncomfortable uh, meshing of people. Now, let's just be honest, okay? 
When we say that, what we're saying is this. We're kind of uncomfortable with you, okay? We're uncomfortable with maybe the way you look or what you say or how you say it, right? But the reality is what? God brings us all together with different backgrounds. I can tell you this happens in marriage, right? You guys have been married for a while. You know this, okay? Traditions that my, my wife grew up with versus traditions that I grew up even with Christmas and the holidays and the different things. But what happens? God uses those, the meshing of two souls together, right, to make this beautiful thing. And that's not easy. It's not comfortable at times. There's some friction that's happening, okay? But same is true in the church. God meshes our lives together, what? To bring about a beautiful thing. Listen, the beauty of Christ in his bride. That's what he's about. And so understanding that. Um, the other thing is that they had this. They had an authenticity to share hearts expressing grace and truth that led to this unity. We, we see this over and over. If you, if you look through scriptures, it's about 59 one to another's. How we're to confess our sins one to another. We're to, we're to pray for one another. We're to love one another, right? All the things that love is. Love is patience, kind. Does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not self-seeking. No, it's not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. All these things that love is, and we're to, we're to love each other that way. Listen, is that comfortable? No, not at all. It means a dying, going back to the, the individual uncomfortable faith. It means a dying to self and not living for you. Now, that doesn't mean you don't stand up against something that's wrong, right? But you do it in grace and truth. You do it in a loving way. There are times where you have to, uh, if you will, exert yourself if, if there's wrong teaching or wrong doctrine. I get that. There's certain things you stand up for. But when we talk about preferences or how different backgrounds that mesh together, we need to learn that God is using all those things to stretch us and grow us and to mourn the image. Because by the way, it says in heaven with Jesus for eternity, there will be every tongue, tribe, every nation represented, right? Every ethnic background. And so we need to learn to see what that looks like. In fact, if you look at the, the woman at the well, it's a beautiful picture of grace and truth there, right? And so I, what I've learned in this is that many times God's family, the church, becomes even some ways deeper and more intimate. Not anyway, it does become more, it becomes more beautiful than even my own, if you will, birth family, okay? Because what happens is I have a commonality with you that maybe sometimes I don't have with them, right? Or, or we're doing life on life together. I, I don't know about you, but you've ever had that experience where you're traveling on an airplane or traveling in a city or going somewhere and you meet another believer. What happens? There's an automatic commonality, right, for the things of Christ in the word of God. And so you feel this bond with them, almost this connection with them on a, a deep level. Why? Because they have a commonality in Christ. And that's what the beauty of the body is about. One of the other things we see in Scripture that they had was this. They had a generosity to share their stuff. They had a generosity, generosity to share their stuff. Guys, you realize um, we are just stewards. You realize that, right? I mean, anything that you have is not yours. You say, well, I, I, worked, I worked really hard for this. I mean, I, I went to work, put in overtime. I started a business. 
it boomed. Okay, uh, I, I got, you know, I made these investments and they prospered me this. Can I tell you something? Who did that? You say, well, well I went to work. Well, who gave you health? Right? Who, who, get, who gave you a, a right mind to learn and grow? God did. The scriptures make it very clear we're to be stewards of the vineyard, right? We're the stewards of what God has given us. And so we do not own it. It's all God's. And so we need to begin to learn to hold loosely to the things because God has given us this, listen, to be his hands and his feet. We're, we're not to hold tight onto these things. This is not our home, by the way. We're just passing through. This is not our kingdom. It's God's kingdom. And it's his world, right? It's his stuff. So we need to be good stewards of granted He's given these things to, to be stewards, to be a blessing, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. If you will, to be ambassadors. I don't know if you've ever experienced going into another country, but think about that for a moment. Think about if you were an ambassador in a place that's not America. You're a representative of America there. We're, we're if you will, we're representative, we're ambassadors of heaven on earth. Jesus brought heaven to earth and he lived out and modeled for us. That is what the Great Commission is. And so we're to live out, but we're to live out with generosity. I, I can tell you, my parents modeled this. They were some of the most generous people I know, okay? In fact, there would be times where they would give stuff away, and I'm like, you didn't even ask me if I wanted that. Why are you giving that away, right? You know, one of the things I didn't highlight earlier, too, is that... Um, my parents really taught me um, a real genuineness about seeing past the surface on people. I went to uh, like my 20th or 25th, I know, I'm stinking old, high school reunion. And I remember Hurch Brown, known him since I was a kid. He said, how are your parents? I said, they're doing good. He said, will you tell them thanks? I said, thanks for what, Hurch? He says, it didn't matter what skin color. It didn't matter what kind of clothes we had on or what kind of upbringing we had. We were always welcome in your home. I think there's a, a generosity about our home and our stuff. And there should be a, a genuineness about that we're all level at the foot of the cross that people see. That was 25 years ago, guys. That still resonated in his heart. And listen, I asked my dad, because if I said anything racial came out of my mouth, and I was a young kid, I learned some words and didn't know the meaning. I remember saying one time, my dad washed my mouth out with soap, okay? And, and I remember asking the significance of that later. And I said, why did you, you know, grow up like that? And he goes, I didn't grow up like that. But when I became a Christian, I realized, I realized that all people are the same, Right? And that we need to love people no matter what their outside looks like. And that stuck with me. And this is what we see in the first century church. Okay? Amen, brother. Amen. Give it up. That's Jesus, though, because my, my dad grew up in the mountains of Virginia. And that's not how he was raised. But he made a choice to follow Jesus in the ways of God, in the word of God. And so that is what I'm saying here. Listen, it says here, if you're writing notes, 
they were famous for the hospitality to the poor and the suffering. They were famous. They were well known for giving to the poor and the suffering. And again, let's go back to context, okay? And I'll even take this a step for, further. Even when it comes to the children, they were, they were, if you will, a commodity. Just be honest, just like today. They would discard them very easily if they were inconvenienced. And, and if you look throughout the history of the early church and even the history of the church in general, what you see is you see this good Samaritan attitude when Jesus talked about that just because somebody looks different or acts different, a different culture, we still love them the same. In fact, if you look at places where there were urban plagues, instead of running from those areas, Christians character, characteristically didn't flee those areas. They actually went into those areas and cared for the sick and the dying. And, and we see that today. We see plagues in Africa where Christian missionaries will go into those places and they end up sometimes losing their life. Why? Because they're, they're doing what their master said to do. They're doing what Jesus commanded to go and be the hands of feet of me. This is what we see. In fact, they defended the weak and the vulnerable. Where are we defending the weak and the vulnerable in our lives? There's people around us, I promise you, they're weak and they're vulnerable. One of the things, again, I think about, I think about the piercers right now that are um, in uh, China adopting their baby girl, one of their baby girls, right? They already have a, a, a biological daughter, and they're adopting. They have two boys, and they're adopting uh, a little girl. And I think about how, again, many societies in, the, in these days, in the Christians, they would, they would call it infant exposure, where they would just put their, their, dispose their child out somewhere, to die. And Christians were known or are still known for going and rescuing those orphans and giving them homes and eventually hopefully finding homes to adopt them where they have a mother and a father. This is what we see. We see them committed to defending the weak. They also infuse themselves in the lives of people that are human trafficking or, or, or caught up in the bondage of addictions or caught up in prostitution. This is what we see, not only then, but we see it now. Also this, they had a community, listen, they had a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation. I want you to read, I want to read this verse to you found in Matthew 6. It says this, 14. For if you forgive others as trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now listen, what Jesus is saying is this. His forgiveness is not conditional in the sense of, you know, love you here, love you not, okay? What he's saying is this. If you have truly experienced forgiveness and you receive forgiveness from the God of the universe who ultimately we've all offended and rebelled against, if you've experienced that forgiveness, you, have, you will have the ability to forgive others. And like I've said over and over, to receive forgiveness from the God of the universe and to reject it from your brother or sister is the height of hypocrisy. It's like sitting on a limb and then using a chainsaw to cut it off. What's going to happen? You're going to fall. You're going to crash and burn. You can't 
expect to say, I'm receive forgiveness and not extend it to others. This is what we see modeled over and over, where Christians, even people that persecuted, imprisoned, and attacked them, they would extend forgiveness to others. Their community was centered on a love for one another. The other thing they had was this. They had an all-in mindset, which meant they embraced the pain and growing up with each other. In other words, they, they experienced this, this sharpening back and forth that friction comes, and they were, they were all in. I want you to think about this. You guys have probably heard of a, an animal called a feral pig, right? A, a feral pig is pretty much anywhere it breeds, it, it just causes incredible damage, right? And so most states where those pigs are at, it's just an open killing season on them. They just they have like 17 piglets at a time, and they breed like six times a year. It's, it's crazy, right? Um, but listen, I want you to understand, the first 300 years, it was, it was an open season on Christians. It was an open season. Nero, I mean, he would not only impel them, but light them on fire at the stake and, and guide the, the roads with Christians. That's what he would do. Now, who in their right mind would become a believer in Jesus during that time period, only if what this world had to offer did not come in comparison to what Jesus had to offer. See, the reality is this. They knew that this place was not their home. Their home was to be with Jesus. And so they had an all-in mindset that this world did not matter in the end. Okay? Now, I get it. We, gotta, we have a place to shelter. We've got to have a car. We've got to have a job to feed and take care of our family. I get that. But how much priority do we need to give to that? If this is not our home, this is not our home, and this is what they had an all-in mindset. And ultimately, they had an unwavering commitment to focus on advancing God's kingdom. They ultimately had an unwavering commitment advancing on God's kingdom. That means they gathered for worship. They gathered for the word, the teaching. They, got it. they gathered in, in the fact that they were sending out missionaries. They were guided by spiritual mature elders in the church. They brought them in for those times of conflict and they couldn't diffuse or guidance on the scriptures, but they began to multiply, multiply, make disciples and make disciples and plant churches. This is what they had. Listen, without that unwavering commitment, we would not be here. If they decided just to stay in their little comfort zone and stay in their little Jerusalem, we would never be here. But Jesus said, go to the ends of the earth. And sometimes our ends of the earth is across the street, across the sidewalk, and up a sidewalk, and up to a door, and knocking on your neighbor's door. I get it. Sometimes it's walking down the hallway to the next cubicle to, to talk, about, talk to that person that you've been burdened to share with at your workplace. Or to go down that hallway that you don't normally go down because none of your class is down there, but you know there's one particular kid that your heart's been burdened for to share the Jesus and the good news with. Understanding that. That God has brought us together to make it an uncomfortable environment. Listen, to go out. We're going to be talking about how the, the, comfortable, the, 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 the comfort of the comforter comforts us next week. But I want to ask you this big question today if if what would our individual lives look like what would our corporate lives look like if we modeled what the new testament church looks like 
if we had these things where we, we focused on love for each other, that, that we fought for the bottom, not for the top, top but that we even loved our enemies, that we were generous, and that we shared authenticity, Christ-centered uh, community, all these things, what would our individual lives look like and what would our corporate life look like? What would Caroline County look like if we lived like the New Testament church? Would you stand? I want to challenge you that if you're not experiencing that in your life, that God wants you to experience that individually and corporately. But you've got to have a mindset that you're all in, you're committed to what God has for you, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's awkward, even when it's challenging. But you know, Jesus started out with these big crowds, but in the end, there are only a few that stuck by his side. And Jesus is looking for those who will be committed to him and the church to make a difference to advance his kingdom. Amen. Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that it challenges me first. And God, I'm sharing only what you've preached to me. And God, I'm speaking out of conviction, but God, I'm also speaking the fact that, God, you're calling us something that's deeper and awkward and more uh, uncomfortable and challenging. And God, you're calling us not to run from it, but to run to it, because in the end, we're running to you. Father, we love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. How deep.